Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, please. Romans chapter 10. Well-known portion of Scripture, well-known few verses. Verses 9, 10, and 11. Excuse me. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. The Lord will bless the reading of his word in public tonight. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your great love. We're with you have loved us. We thank you we can sing about it tonight and praise you for it. We thank you, Father, that tonight, even such a terrible night of bad conditions, you've brought so many in here tonight. For, for their faithfulness alone, would you bless them. And now, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And if there is one who's come in on such a night, unsaved, not knowing your Son as their own Lord and personal Savior, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. And, Lord, that you would save them for time and eternity. Father, we ask you also that you would speak to the believer's heart tonight, even through your word, to encourage us, to enable us, Lord, to go on with you, that your Son would be our all and all, that he would be our everything, and Christ would be our life. So glorify your name, glorify your Son, and may he alone be seen. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Tonight's title is a strange one because it's called The Gospel Within Quotation Marks. The Gospel Within Quotation Marks. You see, Kenneth Woost in his volume one of Greek Word Studies mentions one word here in our reading. And taking it from the Greek text, he he tells us it is what is known in the English as quotation marks. We would say maybe the gospel in a nutshell. But here it is like putting it into quotation marks and it's simply verses 9 and 10. And of course the finish then of verse 11 that the whosoever in verse 11 believeth on him the Lord Jesus shall not be ashamed. The apostle in our reading sets out a short synopsis these quotation marks, and it's the requirements for a man and a woman, the requirements of a soul to be saved. And what are those requirements? But that synopsis or that quotation mark gospel that we have read tonight, that a man and a woman must believe in their heart and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. But this means so much more, and tonight we want to look at it. I trust that uh, even a believer will be encouraged by it, that a believer, uh, because sometimes believers might say, well, why would you preach the gospel to all believers? Well, I don't know every heart. I don't know every heart here who are saved and not. I, I know every professing heart, but there's hearts I don't know as well, people I don't know. And hence we bring this, but the believer to be encouraged. Every time I hear the gospel that is of Christ dying for me, I'm encouraged. It rejoices my heart that the Savior would come and bleed and die for somebody like me. The apostle gives a synopsis of what, it, what is the requirements for a soul, a man or a woman, to be saved, to be ready for glory, to be ready for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Well, confession from the mouth must flow from a believing heart. Confession from the mouth must flow from a believing heart. 
And, you know, when I had written this on Thursday, I think it was, or Friday, I wrote this. I'd already written this morning's message, and it was about a wayward heart and how lips are speaking, and they're speaking without the heart being in it. And I didn't realize, to be honest, it wasn't something that I'd done well. I'll just carry this on. But I felt that the Lord had given me this. So maybe tonight, if you're hearing this for the second time today about the heart and the mouth, the confession, well, maybe a double witness will speak to all of us this evening. Verse 9 gives us a brief summary. The apostle writes that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Three quick points in this. First of all, there's confession. Then secondly, there's belief. And thirdly, there's salvation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, before we take this flippantly, because some people would, there I've said it. I believe in Jesus, but is it really from the heart? And I want to, I want to open this up a little that we're not mistaken about what this verse means and what it can mean to the heart the mind and life of the believer. And for those who are unsaved, to listen tonight. First of all, confession. Secondly, believing. Thirdly, salvation. And in all of this, the very object of it is not the sinner. It's the Savior. Man and woman want to make the gospel or the word of God all about them. It's all about him. He is the only Savior. And so we must confess from a believing heart. Puritan Richard Sibes once put it like this. He said, confession is verbal humiliation. Confession is verbal humiliation. That the man and the woman who are to be saved, to put forth a good, godly confession, must be humbled in their spirit, must be humbled in their heart must be humbled in their soul enough to see that they are a saviour without hope outside of Christ. And people don't want to be told, especially in this age, that they are a sinner. They don't want to be told that the life they live is wrong. But humiliation comes before true confession. So I've written a few points on true confession as I prayed over this and thought about it. You see, first of all, True confession reveals the hidden heart. True confession reveals the hidden heart. And true confession can be an admission, can be an admission of guilt. And hence, when a man or a woman realize that they're a sinner, true confession is they admit it, but they're admitting that they're guilty before God. People don't want to admit these things today. But true confession can be an admission of guilt. Secondly, true confession can be a declaration of one's love, which may have once been hidden. Secret love. Secret disciple. And they must be humbled that Christ might be exalted. Oh yes, we... We can say, well, we're a Christian, but I'm not telling anybody. Or I sort of believe, but I don't want to speak out about this. The heart must be humbled in order for you to fully confess and to be truly saved. The heart must be humbled. That which was a hidden love might be revealed. True confession can be a declaration of one's love which may have been hidden or True confession may be a declaration of one's love which may be evident, but now has died in them. It was once evident, but now it has died. There are many Christians or men and women professing Christ, and the love for Christ has died in them. 
Yet they're going through the motions because that's what you do. You go through the motions and you tell none that you, you don't look for spiritual guidance nor help because that would cause you to have to be humbled in the heart to be able to say, listen, I'm not going on too well with God and I'm really putting on the front. But true confession, whether you're young or whether you're old, male or female, no matter who you are, true confession may Show a love that has died. Bring evidence to light that you're not really who you thought or said you were. Confession's different now when we think about it, isn't it? We're not finished yet. True confession may be difficult because it is a verbal humiliation in many ways. First of all, it is a slaying of a man and a woman's pride. A true confession is the slaying of pride. And many people are saying, "What? I'm not going to yield to this gospel. I'm not going to yield to this and have to, as it were, die that Christ might live in me. I'm not going to yield to this word that I'm hearing. I'm going to rebel against the Lord and against the word. But true confession brings us to a place where it is a slaying of your pride. We're all the same. The slaying of pride. And because it is a slaying of pride, it brings a sense of vulnerability. Now I'm going through this over the weekend in my head from Thursday when I was writing it. And it's going over and over in my head. Praying about it and I thought, Lord, what is it about this true confession? And this is the point I'm writing down just from my own well. It's a slaying of pride, and it brings a sense of vulnerability. Because you know when you fully open your heart to the Lord, you're vulnerable before God. But there's no one better for you to give your heart to. There's no one who will protect your heart more than the Lord himself. There's nowhere where your heart is safest but in the hands and care of the Lord. And true confession may be one's admission of wrong. You ready? True confession may be one's admission of wrong and bring them responsibility of what they now know and hear. When the slaying of pride comes, it's an admission of, Lord, What your word is saying, I must yield. I must do. Because now the responsibility is laid upon the hearer. The responsibility is on the hearer of the word. The responsibility is on that man and that woman, maybe unsaved, and they've come under the gospel of saving grace. And now the responsibility is taken off the preacher if he preaches through the conviction of the Spirit to that company and that person, that man, that woman, that soul and that heart. They have the responsibility. I have been in many funerals, many, many. I've been with many people who have heard the gospel and walked away Gospel meetings, tent meetings, outreaches. And I've been to many funerals in other places where the man behind the pulpit had a wonderful opportunity to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, to preach the the wonders of Calvary and the blood of the Lamb and salvation in Christ alone, they had this wonderful opportunity, sometimes with hundreds of people before them, and they missed. They held their tongue for fear of man. When you see that man who did not preach to those people, the responsibility lies in him. So if I do not preach the gospel, if I hold back from preaching the word at some part of eternity, I know that I will be standing before God. 
And I know that I will give an account for why I did not. There's going to be a lot of people standing before God with red faces on that day. So true confession may be one's admission of wrong and bring them responsibility with that which they now know and they must do something with it. Look, if you will, at Romans chapter 10 again, please. The Apostle Paul says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See the little word, that. T-H-A-T. T-H-A-T. Well, this little word is the word, Hote. Hote. And what it means in the original text is a declaration clause to look at the chapter or the writing or the conversation, if you want, before this point. Look at it, and now he's going to put it into an English term, quotation marks. That's where I got my title from, quotation marks. Here he's bringing it in, and he's cramming it into a couple of verses. He says, that, because of all of this going past, he says, here is the gospel in the nutshell within the quotation mark. Notice here, Paul's declaration is that salvation is in the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and in nowhere else. It's not even in the law-keeping which is throughout this chapter. Nor is it knowledge about God which is in this chapter. But it is in faith, through faith in Christ, by the grace of God, not of keeping the law. And Paul is saying, look, I'm laying it before you all. In this one chapter that we have, I'm laying it before you. It's not in the keeping of the law. It's not in you saying, well, you know about God. It's about knowing Christ. It's about trusting him and believing all that he has accomplished and done for us. If you will look at verse 1 of chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to, to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He's talking about salvation here. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. It's all religion. It's all the working out, but they're dead. They're missing everything altogether. The slaying of animals when the Lamb of God was in their midst earlier in, the, in time past in Paul's day. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, take note, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Would you say own righteousness? Tran on their, by themselves, by their works, by their alms, by their deeds, by their temple, by their giving even of a sacrificial lamb. Trying to make it up that they are right before God. Paul's saying you can't be right before God like this. Notice what he says. By their own, establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Would you say righteousness of God? Would you say their own righteousness? Righteousness of God. Two different things. If their righteousness and your righteousness, all that you could do and accomplish and try and give, if it could add up to the righteousness of God, Paul need not put them into two different categories. But Paul is saying, God's righteousness is not your righteousness. And then he goes on for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Nor who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? 
What does it all mean, he says? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith. Notice it's of faith, which we preach that. He says, here are the quotation marks. Here it is in a nutshell. All of that chapter and even before that, all to do with Israel's salvation, which they missed, which we miss in our land. He says, Christ has died for us. And people try all their things and think all their ways and think because they can do deeds and go to church or do whatever. Their own righteousness. They miss God's righteousness. His standards for salvation is in His Son. That, that's why He says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou might be saved. Is that what it says? No, it does not. Thou shalt. You will be saved. You will. Not you have to wait and see. You can know salvation tonight if you don't know salvation. You can receive salvation tonight if you've ever received the salvation found in Christ tonight. You don't, you don't wait and see. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, pen, payments for, uh, for, for purgatory out to get, out, get you out early. No praying in masses for you. None of that is, is true or real. It's either a heaven to gain or a hell to shun. It's in this life here and now to accept Christ or to reject Christ. God's righteousness or man's. God's righteousness or yours. Notice here, this word righteousness... I want to make it as simple as possible. Uh, people say, well, what is righteousness? It means to be right living. It does. That's, a, that's part of the fruit of it. But that's not the root of it. That's part of the fruit of it when we live right in righteousness. That's the fruit, but it's not the root It really means to stand in a true or real and acceptable condition before God. To be in a condition acceptable to your heavenly Father. Oh, how do I know that I am? Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Then He alone is the one who is righteous. But when you're in him, he places his righteousness upon you. And we can only find ourselves in a condition acceptable to God and approved of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By believing in Christ and confessing Christ, speaking out forth from the heart, from the soul. The word heart there is the word cardiac. It's where we get our word cardiac, as in Cardiac arrest and so forth. It's where we get our word cardiac. And it is the soul of the man and the woman. The deep inner region of the man and the woman. And it's believing in Christ and confessing, speaking out from the soul, knowing. Listen, if I walked away and I said, I threw the head up and said, that's it. I'm not doing this Christian life no more. I'm not following Jesus no more. I know for a fact by the time I'd said it, my heart would convict me. Because in the deep inner recesses of my being, from the very soul, I confess. Because it's from there I've been saved. It's not an outward appearance thing. This is a living Walking, talking, breathing, relationship with the Lord. It's not a Sunday thing or another thing that we try or do. It is when Christ has entered in by the Holy Spirit, 
when he enters right into the very heart of the man and the very heart of the woman, gets right down into the crevices, as it were, of the soul that only he knows and you don't even know. And he lays hold upon it. And from there on in, you can do nothing but want to walk before him. Walk in relationship to him. Follow him closely. And desire. Desire him every day. Desire more of him. Notice here, this word righteousness, it means to speak forth or to have from the very soul the cardia, the, the, the affections, the emotions. Listen, it's, the, it's called the seat of our sensibilities. Everything that's true and rational within the man, within the woman, the very seat of our sensibilities, the desires and the passions of the heart, from the middle or the central part of our innermost being, from the thoughts of our hearts, of our will, and from our minds. Right deep within us, we know for an assurance that Jesus died, that Jesus went to the grave, and that Jesus rose again on the third day. From within, and there's something I cannot deny. And he's denied by many who have professed him over the years. Oh yes, we're kept by grace. I don't boast in me, but I boast on his cross work. I boast in his blood. I boast in his strength. I boast in his keeping power. I boast in all that the Son of God is. I, I boast in Christ alone. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Listen, there's not going to be one of us, not one of us, not this man especially, not one of us on that day when we stand before him, that we will show or have or offer anything. Not a thing. But all we will say is, I've come by the way of the cross, washed in the blood of the Lamb, sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. And it's Christ that has kept us thus far. For example, in Romans 5 and verse 6, Paul tells us, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I'm so glad it doesn't say, When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the rich, because I'd have missed it. I'm glad it doesn't say that Christ died for the good, because I'd have missed it. I'm glad it doesn't say Christ died for the polite, (laughs) because I definitely would have missed it. God didn't say Christ died for the well-educated, for I left school without any exams at all. I'd have missed it. Do you know what it says? When Ken, you can put your name in there, was without strength, in due time, Christ died for him. You can put your name in there, brothers and sisters. Christ died for her. The strange thing is this word without strength. Strength is the word asthenes. And it means to be weak and infirm and feeble, strengthless, impotent and sick, lacking in spiritual dignity. Dead toward God, living a life of sin and shame, yet Jesus has died for me. He's died for the alcoholic in the pub. He died for the drug addict in the rave. He died for the paramilitary who was doing wrong. He's not coming for a Protestant church or a Catholic church. 
for a, an all-male choir and church or a, or a female one. He's coming for his own. He's coming for the redeemed. He's coming for the saved. He's coming for those who are his. Yes, the ungodly is the Asibus. Listen to what it means. It means those who are destitute of reverential awe towards God right through the whole scale of humanity to the very wicked. I don't know where in that scale I was. I was, sometimes I always thought it was good. But nevertheless, in God, I must have been very wicked. And I don't know where you were either. Whereabouts in that sliding scale, so-called as it were, but somewhere along there, you were helpless. You were helpless. You were in need. You couldn't save yourself. And yet Christ knew it, and he shed his blood at Calvary for you. At one point in your life, you have heard the gospel, whether it's at home or a meeting or wherever it may be, and you've heard of how he's died, that you might be saved. In Romans 5 and 8 it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the word commendeth here means to come along and stand beside, to display, to exhibit. He stood beside me, and the cross was exhibiting the love, yet I didn't know it. The love of God in Christ manifest in the Son of God dying on Calvary. And yet when I was in the pub, there His love was manifesting. The cross still stood. When I was in the drug den, there the love of God was manifest already. And I knew it not until the day and the hour someone preached under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Pastor James McConnell it was. And I heard the unsearchable riches of Christ and the glories of the cross and the blood that he shed. And I was born again. Saved. Saved. See, Christ died for the ungodly, and it says Christ died for sinners. Our mortal loss, the, the, those who were devoted to sin. Sure, all of us were devoted to sin and we didn't know it. Every one of us, we didn't even know it. Dead to God. Backs toward Him. 1 Corinthians 15 and 3 says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Well, brothers and sisters, Christ died that you and I might be saved. And now, when he comes to the very soul, the very innermost being of the passions, the seat of the sensibilities of the man, he comes and he speaks to the life and into the heart. He comes and he, by his spirit and he awakens us to our need of him. Can you imagine? The walking dead. You and I. It's like walking dead. We're all like those lemmings when we go. They go and they jump over the end of the cliff. Remember they all kill themselves or the wee lemmings. That's what we're like in the broad road to destruction. We're all walking this life. Dead to God. No thought of him. At the most, some sort of religious attack of some sort of backward part of our conscience on the old time, if it was ever there. But when the Holy Spirit, when He steps in, He steps into the heart. I said with reverence, I said with respect here, and I said with gladness, and I said with gratitude. But when he invades the heart, when he gets involved and when he interferes in the life of the man and of the woman, when he wakens us up from our sleep of death to behold the Lamb of God. You know, sometimes you feel like 
Talk when you're witnessing to someone, you feel like grabbing them by the lapels and shaking them, don't you? Can you not see this? Will you not wake up? Will you not understand? People at missions or other times even here, and I want to go down and grab them, as it were, by the scruff. And I want to eyeball them, the eyeball, and say, will you wake it up? You're lost and done and dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Waking up, can you not see it? You're going to hell. And they look at you all starry-eyed and startled. Nothing. Not a thing. You see, it takes God to get involved, to step into the equation. Jesus says that even the, his finger is as the finger of God, and when it touches you, it brings the dead to life. It brings the sick into health. The finger of God has come on you. And the Holy Spirit, he climbs, as it were, right into the heart. Comes right into the seat of your sensibilities. And he reasons with you as he awakens your very spirit and your heart unto the glories of Christ. Oh, I've had it before, you know. Paul says we persuade all men, and we do persuade. I'm persuading tonight. And Paul says we persuade all men, and I understand that. But here's the thing. Sometimes we nearly auction off the Lord Jesus because we want to try and and get another notch on the post to say, yes, another one in the kingdom. But are they? But are they? Because it takes the sovereign move of God. I must run on. Time's flying. Here, this word confess. If you look at Romans chapter 10, please. Just let me get a drink while you flick over. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. <clears throat> This word confess is a big word, homilego, homilegio. And this is what it means. We think confess is, well, just to speak out. It's not, yeah, yeah, we might think that that's what it means, but let me give you the real, the closer meaning of the text here, to confess. It means to speak the same thing as another. To speak the same thing as another, it means to come into agreement with someone else. It means to declare and to admit one's guilt. So what it really means, what Paul is saying here, the word confess in this instance, for sometimes it slightly changes. In this instance, what Paul is saying, if you come into agreement with the word of God, if you come into the to agreement with God Himself, He's saying, if you come in to agreement and admit your guilt and confess that Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. See the difference? And this word homilego. Elego means to speak, and homos means the same. It's like we get homo sapien and things so forth. But homos means the same, to speak the same as somebody else. And in this tense and context, it is to speak the same as God speaks, to see how God sees you and me. Let me give you another rendering of this. Luke 12, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord Jesus is the speaker. And Luke 12, verse 8, he says, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Homilegio, it is the, the term again. Whosoever 
comes into an agreement with me. Whosoever comes in and stands with me about him. See how it's changed now? About him. He is the Son of God. He is deity clothed in humanity. He is the Christ sent from glory. He is the word of the Father. The only begotten Son of God. I'm coming into confession with Him. He is the only Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come unto the Father but by Him. He is Messiah. Brothers and sisters, will you come into confession? I hope you have. About Him. Then He will come into confession about me before the angels of God in the presence of God where the the heavenly angels abode are is and he will confess Father he trusted in me she trusted in me she has believed and put her faith he has in my finished work uh, he, he has spoken and confessed me from his soul And then he says in verse 9, But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. I'm running this up to a close, so bear with me a moment. Mark chapter 1 and verse 5. Listen to what it says. And there went out unto him, John the Baptist, all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan. And it says they were confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. The word here for confessing is slightly different. Where homolegio is the first one. This one is axomolegio. And the ax means from within to without. Ach means from within to without. Achomolegio. Or achomolegio. And it means from within to without. In other words, these people had already confessed their faith in Christ. They got into the water. It was believer's baptism. It wasn't some sort of baptism before they believed. The idea is they believed, they were baptized, but as they were baptized, they were confessing in public that Christ was their Lord. It's the idea of this word. The other one is you're in confession with Christ. Here it is, you're confessing to your work colleagues. You're confessing to your family. When you're baptized in water, and we usually do it here, you're confessing to everyone around. You're confessing your sins. In other words, I'm a sinner, and Christ has saved me. I was saved when the Lord came into my life on such and such a date. I was this, I was that, and I was the other. But praise God, he came into my life and forgave me, and he washed me in his blood. And you're confessing. Jesus is Lord. This is the idea of these people in Jordan. It wasn't a little, okay, are you a sinner? Yes, but don't tell anybody else. It was a case of, I'm a great sinner, and he is a great saviour. Their confession of sins was more than mere acknowledgement of sin in their life, and it was, and there's agreeing with God that Christ is great. It is looking at sin from God's point of view and acting accordingly. I love this quotation from Puritan John Trapp. Listen to what he says. God puts away many in anger for their supposed goodness, but not any at all for their confessed badness. Did you get that? I read that and I thought, that's fantastic. Let me read it again. Puritan John Trapp. God puts away many in anger for their supposed goodness. That's their righteousness. For their supposed goodness, but not any at all for their confessed badness. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, Lord. My badness. 
Here it is before you. Forgive me. And he never turns them away. But there are those that say, well, I want to confess how good I am, how clean a life I have lived. And he puts money away in anger because of it. Hope uh, he doesn't mind me saying this, but I'll take the liberty, so forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn. One Sunday morning I was here and we just finished the meeting. Just finished the meeting and people were leaving. And I was here, right here. And someone comes up around here and I looked and it was Sean. Sean says to me, been coming for quite a while, Sean says to me, can I ask you a question? I says, certainly. We're both standing here. For me to get saved, do I need a priest? No, Sean, you don't know. For me to get saved, do I need you or anyone with me? I says, no, you don't. Sean was out and confessed his sin cried unto the Lord I think it was walking the dog if I'm right was that right? are you right walking or wherever it was he confessed his sin and he says to me this is what I've done and I confessed my sin or he asked the Lord to save him I says did you mean that Sean? he says yes I says and you're saved and I brought him to this Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that confession being made unto salvation, he hadn't told anyone. And he says, but I haven't said to anyone. I says, you have now. You've told me. Then his wife gets saved. Then his daughter gets saved. And glory to God, they're so faithful. Telling you that, and I hope you don't mind me saying that. Took the liberty there in saying that. So I close this with this. There's so much on this confession we could look at. Coming from your heart, there's a change in your life. I've seen people in tears and have prayed with them as we led them to, supposedly led them to the Lord, and they haven't went any further. And I've prayed with people where hardly anything visible has shown, and yet they've went on with God and seen them growing in grace in Christ. In 1 John 1 and 9, John writes, If we confess, it's homilego, in other words, if we come into agreement with God, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to this one in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him, the Lord Jesus, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should... What's the word? Every tongue will confess Him. You know what the word is? Actual malego. Every Christ rejecter, every Christ denier, every anti-Christ spirit will stand before Him and have to proclaim Him as Lord. It means out in the open, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's like the prophets of Baal with Elijah when he built the altar and they built their altar. And Elijah put the the wood on it and the stones and he dug a trencher in it and 12 barrels of water. And listen, it had to be God to light this. It was drenched in water. And the Lord came down in fire and glory and burnt it all up. And there's those old Baal worshippers cutting themselves and jumping up and down in their altar. Where are you? Where are you, Baal? And Elijah says, maybe he's away on a holiday. 
Maybe he's on the toilet, he says. That's what he says. He's taking a wee break. But the fire comes down from heaven. You know what they all cry? The Lord. He is God. That is Jehovah. He is God. There's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John tells us that there's even deceivers out there at the minute who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and says that they are Antichrist. They confess that he isn't. And they're Antichrist. We see them everywhere, but they will bow the knee. And they will confess and say, He is the Lord. He is God. So that's the gospel. In speech brackets, as we would call it, quotation marks. In a nutshell, those two verses opened up to the glory of God. May God bless you tonight. Tell me to come up, please, and we'll, we'll sing. We'll let the people get away home. Please be careful on the roads. Take your time. Praise God. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, what a night to get saved when the country's blanketed in frost and fog. What a remembrance to have if God's been speaking to you tonight. Will you be humble tonight and say, yeah, I'm a sinner and Christ is the only Savior. And come and see us, see Pastor Glenn, see myself. See your brother Jeff. See somebody. I had a lovely wee, wee surprise. One of, the, one of the kids out of the, the children's church came up to me here with Glenda this morning, she says. And I can hardly hear her. I'm not mentioning her name because I don't know why she would or not. So, and she was on the wee step. And I got down and I says, what is it you want to tell me? She says, I've asked Jesus into my life, my heart to save me. <laughs> and I was not fantastic. <laughs> Listen, we don't despise children. No. That's how simple it is. He works on the heart. But yet it's deep and profound. Praise God.